One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the David Wagner to my Daniel Farker. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, 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 Justin Peach. What a weekend. What a weekend. Uh, Personally, I would say the action this weekend was even more incredible than that guy who's drank 2,000 pints in 200 days. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like that... That achievement, shall we call it, albeit reckless, was was quite an achievement. I think that eclipses most of what happened this weekend. I'm sorry to put a downer on Championship Football being a Championship podcast. We're never going to be a 2,200 pints in or 2,000 pints in 200 days podcast. But that is some that is some achievement that I do not condone. It's true, isn't it? It's like I've never been so disgusted, but so impressed at the same yeah. time. It's um, it's quite remarkable. If any of our listeners from abroad have no idea what we're talking about there's a guy who's gone viral on social media for drinking 2000 pints in 200 days that's 10 pints a day for over six months it's not healthy that's it's insane it It takes air of the dog to a whole new level and i just don't know what to think of it I'm, i'm on the same boat i don't know whether i'm impressed or disgusted and I, I'm not. I'm both, definitely not. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I, I'm. I'm not in between. I want to be on either side, but I just don't feel like I can. I don't. Th- I don't feel like it's responsible for me to be. Um, I don't think it's responsible for me to be impressed by it. But I also think it's really boring of me to not be impressed by it. I don't know where mm. I sit, right? This is. Is it? Oh my god, it's a dilemma. I don't think I can carry on with this podcast. I need another ten minutes just to rack my head around it. I'm, not I'm sorry that. that I brought it up. I'm sorry that I brought it up because it genuinely is one of <laughs> life's great ponderances. Should we be impressed by this or not? I honestly don't know. What I can tell you I'm impressed by, ladies and gentlemen, is the championship this weekend. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the weekend's action. Plenty for us to get our noses into here, um, including Wayne Rooney's first game in charge of Birmingham. Of course, we'll get onto that very shortly. And a remarkable comeback by Leeds United. More on that very shortly, too. We'll do the polls near the end of the show where we get the thoughts of the listener on Twitter or X or whatever it's going to be called next week. And then we get Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end to round up the show. So let's kick things off with Wayne Rooney, who suffered defeat in his first game in charge of Birmingham. They lost 1-0 away at Middlesbrough. Three-word review here from Max who's a Blues fan truly dreadful performance and it's got to be said just five shots for Birmingham here I'm not sure that's the no fear football that the Birmingham owners said they wanted to bring to the club after sacking John Eustace not a great start for Rooney admittedly Middlesbrough away very tricky but his first five games in general are very tricky and it's not going to be a good look for him if he fails to win any of his first five is it? Yes, yeah, not not the best position to be in, obviously. And I know it's a cynical take to suggest that um, that it's not a front for attacking fearless football, was it? Because they 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 sat behind Middlesbrough, they wanted to make it stodgy and difficult for them. And 
didn't really do that. They didn't really, that game plan didn't really work because Middlesbrough absolutely battered them. I think it was, you know, they're quite fortunate to be nil-nil up until the 89th minute. Um, but you are right, that that first five games is tricky and Rooney, especially in this game, will tell him exactly what he needs to get out from this team. Um, they didn't really control the ball. They weren't composed enough in good areas in the final third and they, they, they were just, every time they got the ball, they lost it. So there's a lot of things that Rooney needs to sort out. And I don't think it would have been the sim- uh, same under John Eustace, but I think what Rooney needs to needs to get sorted is is... is Games like this, and they're going to have a few of them in this run, is to make them a lot harder to beat and a lot harder to break down than they were because they weren't. They just simply weren't. Well, that's why when we saw this statement from Birmingham about <coughs> dismissing John Eustace and them wanting to bring a no brand of uh, an attacking, a, a, a brand of no fear football to the club, why the whole Rooney appointment was so eyebrow raising because we saw Wayne Rooney's derby plenty mm. of times, didn't we? It was. Very pragmatic, wasn't it? And the funny thing is, John Eustace this season has mainly gone with a 4-2-3-1 with the front four being made up of attackers. Rooney's gone with a 4-3-3 and taken one of those attackers out for a midfielder. So already, Rooney's football is looking more fearful than Eustace's was. (laughs) (laughs) The old saying that bears repeating around this whole situation is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That applies to the owners with regards to changing manager, but it also applies to Rooney because he seemed to play with the handbrake on here, which mm-hmm. we haven't seen really with Birmingham so far. Jay Stansfield has been one of Birmingham's best players so far, and he was playing in a number 10 role, coming deep to get the ball and run at defenders. But Rooney's put him on the wing, which meant he wasn't anywhere near as influential as he has been so far for Blues. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's one game. We can let them off for that. But I think Birmingham fans will be hoping for a lot more from their game at home to Hull on Wednesday. Because from what I saw here, this was not no fear football at all. And it wasn't anywhere near as good as what we've seen so far under Eustace. Well, exactly. It's, I know we need to give him some sort of a break, but this is what we were saying when John Eustace, when the news broke about John Eustace leaving and Rooney coming in is the appointment of Rooney and removing Eustace given the position that Birmingham are in in the table just puts a lot of unnecessary pressure on Rooney to get results quickly and straight away and you are right that changing things up the way he did probably didn't need to but I, I, he probably over, over it was overthinking the, the fixture because Middlesbrough have been rolling nicely they've been in great form and yeah. he admitted yeah, and, and we, we were wondering Justin weren't we in, in midweek whether Rooney may be you know, going back to that, it was pragmatic ways that we saw mm-hmm. in Derby just because Middlesbrough had been flying so much. But, you know, you want a bit more than what we saw, didn't we? If, oh, just, for example, if John Eustace was in charge here, they'd have had much more of a go at Middlesbrough. They may still have lost, but we would have seen a lot more than what we saw with this Rooney team, wouldn't we? Well, but I think the key thing is that Middlesbrough should have been three or four nil up. I think the scoreline yeah. flattered Birmingham. And it's not necessarily the lack of attacking play that was an issue from from John Eustace's, uh, it's not, not John Eustace's, Wayne Rooney's point of view, is the fact that they conceded so many chances. They need to improve, they need to do better. And quite simply, it's, yeah, well, it wasn't a good enough performance that and it's going to need to be fixed going forwards. Sedgefield's three-word review for Middlesbrough. Super Michael Carrick and Middlesbrough are absolutely flying right now, aren't they? Six wins on the bounce in all competitions. Incredible, really, that this time last month, they were still searching for a first league win. How quickly things can change? The question is, Justin, how far do you think they can go? 
it's a similar position to what it was when Carrick came in last season, wasn't it? The fact that they were they were so down and out, or it felt like they were so down and out and things weren't going their way. And then suddenly it just clicked when Carrick came in. And it feels the same here. Carrick's a, a really intelligent coach and he's, he, he feels like he's finally getting more out of this team. And like I was alluding to or suggesting, we're talking about Wayne Rooney, they should have been home and hose before the 89th minute. But even that break with Morgan Rogers, and I think it was Matt Crooks, the, com- the combination, it was... Yeah, it was it was really it was really good play, and I think that the fact that they tried that over and over again, um, I think it's a sign of a good side, and I do think they can carry on. I don't think they can carry on winning games in the, in in the, in the manner that they have been, but certainly, if they can if they can string together several runs like this, then then yeah, sure they're going to be knocking on the door of the playoffs, and will surprise quite a few teams. But just need to keep going, need to keep going, and keep the keep the good times rolling because it, yeah, as I say, it was it was really really it was looking very bleak mid September. Well, the crazy thing is, he's essentially got them doing this well with their B team from last season because only two of the outfielders we started against Birmingham are new signings. The rest of them were either playing regularly for Borough last season or are players who have had to bide their time in getting a chance to play regularly. Don ba- Dan Barlas is a good example. They signed mm-hmm. him in January, only started three games last season. He's coming here and his pass basically started the attack, which led to the goal for Borough. Isaiah Jones was in and out of the team, has now been one of their best attackers this season. Josh Coburn had to go out on loan to League One to get game time and has looked really good so far. Uh, so despite this team still being unquestionably weaker than last season, I don't think that's up for debate. They're still flying. And mm-hmm. Michael Carrick is once again proving why he's such a good manager when his team gets playing. And when that happens, they're difficult to play against, but brilliant to watch. Well, exactly. And I think this is a good uh, a good game to, to well to highlight in the fact that they, the game was nil-nil for so long, but they still kept knocking on the door. They still kept plugging away. They, kill, they still kept testing Birmingham City right, right up until the end. And it's, you know, it's one of those games that would have felt like two points dropped had they not found the winner. So that late, that late winner by Rodgers is going to create confidence. It's going to breed confidence. It's going to breed that mentality to keep going at your opposition until the until the very end of the of the games and it might be a bit of a cliche but good teams do that and I think Michael Carrick's still evolving this Middlesbrough team they're going to go through a few more bumps but certainly in a much it's obvious certainly in a much better place now than they were six weeks ago yeah and they should have scored a lot more goals than they have <laughs> done so far this season they're the side who are underperforming their expected goals attack wise the most this season I mean Josh Coburn himself could have scored a couple against Birmingham but is getting in the right positions, which is the main thing. This Middlesbrough side are creating the chances, which is the main thing. And as long mm. as they keep creating chances, as much as they have done, then they'll score plenty this season. Borough now up to 13th with the five league wins in a row, just two points off the top six. Leeds came from 2-0 down to beat Norwich 3-2 in the Daniel Farker derby. What a game this was. Some of the football on show was... Brilliant. And then the limbs when Crescencio Somerville scored the winner. Just exceptional. A great advert for the championship, wasn't it? If the FL wanted to, they could put the highlights of this game on a TV advert and it would do wonders. That's how good an advert it was. James's <laughs> three-word review for Leeds. Crescencio Ciro Somerville. And he's the man who we have to talk about here, Justin. Both of his goals were absolutely exceptional. And He's one of those players who's come down to the championship this season. And I'm looking at him thinking, you simply should be playing at a better level than this, shouldn't you? Because he is class. Was it against Liverpool last year where he really sort of arrived on the scene? Yeah, I, I can't remember who it was exactly, but there was one goal, wasn't there? I yeah. think it was a 
a brilliant bit of skill mm-hmm. before the finish, which uh, made me go, oh, this guy looks a real player. And then he, he didn't really kick on after that, did he? He, he was still one of yeah, Leeds' no. better players last season, but ultimately he was one of those who didn't really hit the heights that I think many people were hoping. But there was there were sparks there, and you've seen it again this season. I still think there's an incredibly raw player there that still needs refining. But what a what a manager to play under in Daniel Farker to give you the license to express yourself. And we saw that with his goals. That I think it was his first one that came uh, came in off the post, and he's come inside, and it's, you know, it's a lovely curled effort. Not a lot, not a lot of pace on it. Just a lot of placement. He just gets out of the way of. I think it was George Long in the Norwich goal. It was a beautiful goal, and he's he's got what six goal contributions in nine games this season. He's been a really important player for Leeds, and I think if Daniel Fark is going to continue being successful, and he's going to continue to getting more out of this front th- uh, well front three front four whatever it's going to be at any point. But Somerville again showed exactly why he's quality. He's twenty one years old as well, which is quite frightening. The fact that he's got so much quality and technical ability at this um, at this age. Like if he continues progressing, yeah, he's, he's going to be a very, a very tidy player. Yeah, I didn't realise he was only 21 because he's had a full season of Premier League football yeah. when he was about 70. So I just assumed he was older. Um, but he is such a classy player. Glides across the pitch so effortlessly and then can produce when it matters in front of goal as well. As we saw here on his day, you can just tear any defence apart. And that's what we're starting to see now. A phenomenal player who's going to be so important to Leeds' promotion chances. Leeds now third, six points off Ipswich, who have a game in hand. I think we both agree, well, Leicester and Ipswich have been tanking it away at the top of the league. Leeds have definitely been the best of the rest so far, haven't they? And now it's showing in the table. Yeah, without doubt. And again, you're going back to this game against Norwich, a huge test of character that they needed needed to show to come from two goals down, two really poor goals that they conceded. But they came through it. And again, like a lot of teams in this league, they were knocking on the door for a long period of time and they they showed some real quality when they needed to. And it's that that coolness and calmness that really allows you to separate yourselves from the, the, not the... not the normal, not the normal lot, but the you know teams that are going to be in around the playoffs, that are going to be knocking on the door of the top six. Um, you've got to be a special team, and Daniel Fark is proving it once again that he can get a lot out of this team. And I, I think you, you're looking at this game in isolation. It's a very Daniel Farker game where there's a little bit of chaos, a little bit of zest, a little bit of quality. Has all of it, and I think if if he can carry on getting that out, yeah, it's not going to be it's not going to be a comfortable season, but it's going to be it's going to be a, a fun ride for the for the Leeds fans. Yeah. And that's one of his favourite topics. Um, And they had a bumpy start, didn't they? Which was understandable considering the squad turnover in the summer. I think if they didn't have a bumpy start, it would have been very surprising. They've been steadily finding their groove. And when they've turned it on, it's been a bit frightening. The thing is, is just being able to turn it on week in, week out, which is a very difficult thing to do, of course. But Leeds have to, because of the high standards being set by that current top two. If you look at the last five games, Leeds have smashed three of them and should have won by more in those games, produced a brilliant comeback against Norwich and then lost to Southampton. That's great. Now they need to essentially replicate this five-game run and do it another seven times, don't they? Which is a big ask, I know, but they're playing catch-up currently. Ipswich, I'm sure, will have dips as the season goes on. Leicester, I'm not so sure about (laughs) But even though Ipswich will have dips, I don't think there'll be a huge drop-off, as many people seem to think there is. So that's why consistency is going to be so important for Leeds in clawing away at the gap between them and the top two. Otherwise, 
the top two just won't happen then. They'll just have to settle for the playoffs, won't they? A three-word review here from Elliot on Norwich. No game management. Molman says, we'll be relegated, which might be a bit <laughs> dramatic. Um, I think from a Norwich perspective, not only was it disappointing to throw away a 2-0 lead, it's made even more gut-wrenching by the fact that their former manager was in the opposing mm. dugouts. And with Norwich where they are now as a club, having finished in the bottom half of the Championship last season, now sat mid-table in the Championship this season after a promising start, which has seemingly faltered away. It's interesting to think, isn't it, where they would have been if they never sacked Daniel Farker in the first place? It's very difficult to think like that, isn't it? <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is, but you are right, yeah. But then again, surely time time was up for Farker. I think it just dip, I think it comes down to the fact that the the appointments since then, um, Dean Smith and David Wagner, although Wagner's looked like he's going to get something out of this team, probably not quite where it needs to be. So I think the last two appointments from Farker, they haven't built on the good work that Farker's put in, which obviously makes you long for the good times, the good old times. Um, the fact that it's been so poor, and I think that's the key thing here. I don't think I think it was probably the right time for Farker to go. But also the last two appointments haven't been great, which is as I say, it's just want you want to go back to your ex. When your last two when your last two partners have been terrible. Every time, every time we talk about something like this, Justin always <laughs> talks about his exes. <laughs> Justin, you're a soon to be married man. Why'd you bring up your exes all the time? I'm in, I'm I'm in a very happy relationship, but what I will say is this is <laughs> it's a very good analogy, isn't it? It's a very good analogy, the fact that you long for the for the times of old. You want those good times back. You want to go back to your holiday in the sun where it was nice and calm and everything was right before they ripped your heart out. I'm hoping your current partner never listens to this podcast. <laughs> this doesn't. Um, <laughs> no, neither does mine. Um, I think the most likely scenario is if Daniel Farker were still in charge is that they would be bottom of the Premier League right now. Because that's what Norwich did under Daniel Farker, wasn't it? They had they were the perennial 21st best team in the country. Um, I, I'm not sure if they would have finished last season I'm not sure where they would have finished last season if they still had Daniel Farker. I can almost guarantee that it wouldn't have been as low as 13th in the table, though. I think a large part of where Norwich are now um, is because I still don't really totally understand what they're trying to do under Daniel, under David Wagner. Yes, they had a great start, but it's now four losses in six. And I don't think this is a blip. I think we're starting to see what I think what we're starting to see now is a club which needed to hit the reset button in the summer, but didn't. And Daniel Farker celebrating a win at Carrow Road is a reminder of how things were when Norwich City as a club had a clear plan and joined up thinking, right now, there isn't. Hmm. You can almost guarantee that if Farker was in charge of Norwich, this would have been 3-2 to, to, this would have been 3-2 to Norwich this game. Uh, it's worth thinking yeah. that the yeah, lead would have been 2-0 up and Norwich would have come back to 3-2 to but again it's it just comes down to the, the appointments that they've made just haven't been forward thinking enough and you look at this game in isolation which is probably a little bit of where Norwich are at under under Wagner's defensive transitions they were um, either matched or outnumbered on, on every occasion from Leeds and that, you know, Leeds are a very quick team to break but unfortunately they've got the quality to punish opposition and, 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 and Wagner just did not adapt to that and obviously with, with Barnes being injured and Sarge being injured Again, there's there's been a lack of um, adaptation, a lack of flexibility to to adapt your team to to the issues that you've got, um, and I think that's where where things are unraveling for Wagner a little bit. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that, Justin. The pressure builds on Gareth Ainsworth after another loss for QPR. They were beaten 2-1 away at Huddersfield. Four losses on the bounce now for them. This time last year, as we sit here right now, Justin, QPR were top of the championship, which is just insane to think about, isn't it? Since then, they've won 28 points from 42 games, which is relegation form isn't it? <laughs> and this is a club with all sorts of problems. And I think that points record pretty much sums it all up. Go back to my X analogy. Um, <laughs> Again, please. Long, long for the good times. No, it, it's, um, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And I think the fact that Gareth Ainsworth is continuously um, almost gaslighting the fans with positivity. Things aren't great, Gareth. Like... <laughs> Your performances are poor. You've lost to a, a near relegation rival, and performances yeah, just not, they're not improving. Can I can I can I throw a quote at you for that, that Ainsworth said post game, please? Justin, you know I love Gareth Ainsworth quotes. It's my favourite part of the show. Righto, here we go. I'm a glass half full guy. The Blackburn game was not acceptable, and the transformation is something else. We've improved from Blackburn. Roll on the season because it's going to be a good one. I'm pretty sure we're going to finish above that line. What the fuck are you talking I about? Know. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> this is the thing with Ainsworth, isn't it? He, he has a habit of seeing things completely differently to how everyone else is seeing it. And I get it's all about being positive, but... It's delusion. It is delusion, isn't it? It's delusion. There's, there's, no, there's no way around it. It's the fact that you go to that Watford game at the start of the season and, and Ainsworth is talking about it's going to be a tough old season. Yeah, he's, he's almost throwing in the towel before the season's got going. And now this season, it's saying it's going to be a good one. And his standards of what a good one is, apparently, Justin, is literally just finishing 21st. Well, yeah, the good season with Wickham and they still got relegated. So let's, you know, what is a good season to Gareth Ainsworth? Is it getting relegated? What's the line for Gareth Ainsworth? I, I, oh my God, I, I'm honestly, I'm losing my temper thinking about it. There needs to be changed quickly and, and I need to get off this topic before I... I don't, I don't know, turning to the Hulk or something. It's, um, yeah. Ooh, I mean, I quite like that personally. Um, but it, it, you are right. It's now gone from Gareth Ainsworth should be sacked to how hasn't Gareth Ainsworth been sacked? And I admire a club putting faith in a manager. It doesn't happen enough in football nowadays. But there are certain occasions when it's obviously wrong to do that. And this is one of those occasions. He's been there for eight months and... This is arguably the lowest point of that eight months. There's very little sign of things getting better. They had one shot on target against Huddersfield, and that was the goal. Mm -hmm. It simply cannot continue like this. I'm not totally convinced that even if they do sack him, things will get better, though, because the club is a bit of a mess right now, isn't it? You referenced a piece in The Athletic in midweek, Justin. You've got first-team sources speaking out about how there's no plan to take the club forward. And that's why the problems aren't just going to be solved by simply sacking Gareth Ainsworth. Well, yeah, the club needs to go through a lot of change, but the, the main change they need to make is, is is ensuring that the first team squad has a manager capable of tapping into the quality that I believe they have. Um, they do have I, quality, don't they? Exactly. They, they, they do, they do. It's This squad is a lot better than it is. The, the likes of Elias Chair, Chris Willock, though, the issue is with them... They are players who are basically passengers 
in a yes. crap team. Well, not a crap team, but a team that's not doing very well is a better way of saying it. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Because Elias Chair in a winning team is one of the best creative midfielders in the division. Exactly. But it's not happening. Exactly. And, and and we go to the mentality of the team and whether these players are playing for them. QPR have conceded 32% of their goals this season in the first 20 minutes of games. It's a third of your goals that you conceded, conceding in the first 20 minutes. You're not setting your team up right. You're not motivating them enough. It's dreadful. It truly, truly is dreadful. Um, and I, I think if QPR are going to make change for the long term, they've got to think about the short term. And the short term is changing the manager. And as I say, we're not here to condone managers being sacked but this this positivity that he's throwing out is is laughable it is purely purely laughable and the team isn't going to improve because of it interestingly the current bottom three in the championship have a total of 17 points that's the lowest points tally for a bottom three after 12 games in championship history which is good news for a club like Huddersfield and this was Darren Moore's first victory as Huddersfield manager they're six points clear off the bottom three with this result and I mean the way things are going that could be a big six point gap they're proving to be just a really difficult side to beat aren't they and that's the main thing Darren Moore has to do he's only lost one of his games so far in charge one of the reasons why they're so hard to beat is having defenders like Mikel Hellick who produced what I'm going to call the best bit of defending we have seen all season I think the ball hit the post, fell straight to a QPR player, six yards out, open goal. All he has to do is tap it into the net. Then, like Superman, out of nowhere, comes Helic to block it. An unbelievable bit of defending. And he, he is an excellent defender in general, isn't he? I actually think mm-hmm. he's by far their best player and really should be playing at a higher level than Huddersfield. I mean, that with no disrespect to Huddersfield, but he's just a very, very good defender, isn't he? Well, it's a surprise to see him not link with more clubs last, last summer when he obviously joined Huddersfield because obviously Huddersfield were going for a little bit of a transition. So for him to end up at a team that didn't really back the, the, the squad or, or invest in the team the way that they needed to was a bit of a surprise. But the fact that they've got they've got a really good back line, I think Darren Moore's going to tap into that. They were difficult to beat. But if you're looking at, if you're looking at a contrast between QPR and Huddersfield, that helix scenario that you mentioned of him superheroing uh, that block on a, uh, on a shot is exactly where Huddersfield are at with a manager who is clearly motivating the players and wanting to tap into the quality that they've got which is a defensive uh, mindset that they have compared to a QPR team who just looked down and out under Gareth Ainsworth so that's the, that's the big contrast but Darren Moore has got them playing he's got them organised defensive work rate is fantastic um, and, and they've taken their moments which again um, you can't really say for a lot of teams that are down there at the moment Millwall drew their first game since the departure of Gary Rowett it finished one all away at Preston here's a question for you Justin now that Gary Rowett's gone the longest serving managers in the championship are Mark Robbins at Coventry and Nigel Pearson at Bristol City can you name the third longest serving I, I definitely saw this I definitely saw this yesterday and I can't remember it Ryan Lowe at Preston oh is the third longest serving manager in the championship. He's been there for less than two years and is already the third longest serving manager in the championship. Incredible. I'm not going to lie to you, listener. This was not a great game. I got so bored that I started playing Agario. Uh, if you ever played that, Justin. No. What is it? It's a, a game where you start off as uh, this little blob and then you've got to eat a uh, little pellets and try to You're avoid You're a 29-year-old man. I know. I used to play at uni, but it's just a very good 
fun game and very addictive as well. But it was a lot more inter- entertaining than this game. If if Norwich v Leeds was a great advert for the championship, this game should have been blacklisted. Um, but we got caught a bit off guard with the Gary Wright departure in midweek, Justin. So mm. didn't really speak about it at length because it literally happened as we were recording. So let's talk about it now. Rowett Sp- spoke to Talk Sport in midweek and said it was... A mutual thing, and it felt like the right time with the club needing something different. So it sounds like from both sides, they had accepted they had taken the club as far as he can. And it was time for a change, which in that case, fair play to Rowett, I suppose. It's not all bad news for him because I think he'll be linked with every championship going, every championship job going, won't he, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Um, but, you know, with Rowett mentioning that the club needing something different is interesting to see how different they could go, couldn't it? You know, Mill were in an interesting position. That I think, I think the fact that Gary Rout stabilised them so much and got them in such a good, healthy place. I know they are sitting 14th in the table at the moment, but he's transformed the style of play and the perception around Mill that I think they're in an attractive position to um, get potential applicants who might not have been interested in the job in years gone by, or, or the, the style of play of applicants might not have been interested in, in style of play in, in years gone by but for me they certainly need someone who's going to play a high tempo forward thinking style so I think that the fact that I've seen the likes of Mick Beale, uh, Neil Warnock um, as a couple of others who sort of fall under the line of pragmatic managers I think they need to be a bit more forward, forward thinking and, and go for someone who's a little bit more progressive yeah, I, I would be surprised if they went with a completely different style because that's just not what Millwall really do, is it? And I don't think the fans would necessarily accept anyone who tried to play it out from the goalkeeper. Um, but the thing is, they have got a very good side here, haven't they? Is it good enough for the top six? I'm not sure. But the likes of Zian Fleming, Casper Donora, uh, Joe Bryan, Brooke Norton, Cuffey, I, I, him in particular, I rate very mm-hmm. highly. There's some good players here who really should be playing at a possibly higher level than, you know, just top half Millwall at the yeah. moment. So there's definitely foundations to work with here and maybe play something different, but I just don't think the Millwall fans will accept anything different. Um, so I, I guess the question is, Justin, who should they get in next? Well, I've seen Kevin Muscat touted and labelled. I know I said it as a joke earlier in the week. Um, and I've not he seen is much the his favourite, Justin. It's not, it's not a surprise. Obviously, he's linked heavily with the Rangers job as well. And obviously, he's... Very highly favoured at Millwall, given his past um, past expo- exploits there. But don't don't talk to Neil Warnock about him. Obviously, um, I've not seen much of his Yokohama Marinos side to to really understand how he plays football. But he's been labelled as a progressive coach, which is that next step for I think for Millwall. But whoever it's going to be, they they need to play that high tempo, aggressive, keep the opposition in their their defensive third. Um, you know, it's a case of does John Eustace take that box I think he probably falls into the category of, of Gary Rowett Ian Everett might be an interesting avenue I think he was a. if you're thinking of a young coach who plays without fear he might be a good appointment but whoever it's going to be they need to need to put more emphasis on the quality in the attacking third rather than the defensive third yeah Muscat's a very interesting shout isn't he because he's mm. followed a very similar career path to Ange Postacoglu so far because he succeeded him at both Melbourne victory in Australia and Yokohama in Japan. Obviously, very difficult to say how good a manager he is because managing in Australia and Japan is very different to here. But that's what people thought about Postacoglu and look how that's going. Plus, he's already got that affinity with Millwall having played there. So I'm I'm not going to say he knows the club because I don't want to go down that avenue. But why not go with Muscat? My philosophy on managers now is 
you may as well have a gamble, especially if you're a solid championship side like Millwall, because realistically, what have they got to lose? They're not going to go down or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The only risk is that they take a step back, which if that happens, it happens. But they're a very sensibly wrong club, so there's no chance of them you know, going into oblivion anytime soon. Yeah. They need to take the next step, and sometimes you've got to be brave to do that. So if Muscat is you know, a promising manager and obviously very familiar with the club, knows the club, um, then why not give him a go? I, I don't see why not. I'd be all aboard that because it's much better for me than getting in a familiar face who yeah. knows the championship but at the same time just hasn't really, you know, got much in the way of a great CV of taking clubs to that next level. You may as well take a gamble. Let's take a quick break just now. For that, we'll talk about Leicester, who won again, and Sheffield Wednesday, who lost again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Leicester have now had the best start after 12 games in championship history. They have 33 points following their 3-1 victory away at Swansea. A quick word on that, Matt Grimes goal. The technique on that, unbelievable. Mm, come on, Ryan. Come on, Ryan. Right, I, don't get me wrong. It's coming down from a height and it's you know, a lovely, lovely connection, but it's taken a deflection off Keenan Dewsbury Hall. For me, oh, did it? Deflected, I, goals, I did deflected goals are immediately ruled out of being spectacular as soon as they hit the arse of somebody. I apologise. I didn't realise it was deflected because it looked like it just went straight in from a, the one angle I saw, but a uh, Good goal, I guess. <laughs> Three word reviews here from Leicester fans. Mark says, pissing the league. The secret run coach says, extending our league at lead. Jeremy says, just another win. Sherlock says, Yannick's knob scored. Um, that's in reference that's to Investigard, who yeah. scored with his knob. Um, Leicester were <laughs> exceptional, which is no surprise to anyone. We might have to buy a thesaurus soon to come up with new ways of complementing this Leicester side, Justin, because... They already look like they may very well run away with the league, the way things are going. And that could come in very handy for describing Kin and Dewsbury Hall, who absolutely ran the show once again. I think we must emphasise that Leicester's brilliant start has very much been a team effort so far. But there's one player who has unquestionably been standing out amongst the rest so far and is just the best of the bunch. It's Kin and Dewsbury Hall, isn't it? 
Everyone takes the piss um, about us talking about Ipswich so much, but why do they not reference Keenan Dewsbury Hall? Because I think we mention him just as often as we mention or praise Ipswich. Probably more just in, yeah. actually, isn't it? So You're in reality, right. So in reality, this is the Keenan Dewsbury Hall podcast, not the Ipswich Town podcast or the Second Tier podcast. We are we are solely dedicated to the career excellence of Keenan Dewsbury Hall. And, and to be honest with you, he's the best player in the league, playing in the best team in the league, and it's showing. I don't think there's much more we can add other than he's a very good player playing in a very good midfield. I think Harry Winks deserves credit because he's not put a foot wrong. And Wilfred Ndidi has been almost transformed into a, you know, more of a box-to-box number eight. And I think Keenan Dewsbury's got that license to roam and do whatever, do whatever the hell he wants. And he's exploiting team after team after team. And it's quite frankly embarrassing. Mm. It, it is. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I think, um, I, I think, it would be interesting to see what happened if he got injured because while Leicester are obviously an exceptional side, he is the one who's at the centre of everything. But let's not take anything away from Leicester or him. He's just a phenomenal player who should be playing in the top half of the Premier League as far as I'm concerned. And if he didn't get relegated last season then and was playing in the Premier League this season, then I don't think he'd be too far away from the England squad the way he's going, although there is a lot of competition in that particular part of the squad isn't there um but he's just he's just a fantastic player and it's getting to the stage now where he may be amongst one of the best to have ever stepped down to this level um when you're comparing you know greatest championship players ever it's obviously very early on for us to even open up that particular debate and you know people will have different opinions about it but in terms of just sheer class this guy is right up there isn't he he's all right He's yeah yeah he is, um, and uh, it's going to be interesting come the end of the season to kind of compare him to some of the best players to ever step down to this level. He shouldn't be at this level, but he is. So might as well enjoy him while he's here. Sheffield Wednesday have now got the worst record after twelve games in Championship history. They have just three points to their name after losing one 0 away at Watford. This was new manager Danny Rolls' first game, but if Wednesday are going to stay up, he's going to have to. Really roll back the years, isn't he? And get the best out of this Wednesday side. Otherwise, just in heads will rule. How am I meant to follow up with that? What do you want me to say? I'm just saying, Justin, it just rolls off the tongue with me. Fantastic. Congratulations. You've, you've ruined Danny Roll for everybody. Look at you, rolling <laughs> your eyes at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chris's three-word review for Wednesday. Better. Still lost, which is fair. It's going to take time into it before we can even start assessing Danny Rule as a Sheffield Wednesday manager. Uh, but 19-year-old Yasser Aspria got the goal for Watford. I'm a big fan of his, Justin. He first caught my eye early on last season. I'm just surprised, really, that he hasn't played more for Watford. I just think because he's young, he's going to be inconsistent. And and, and I think we've, we've seen that from him. We've seen it from a lot of Watford players, really. And I think that's probably more of a symptom, a symptom of maybe changing managers. Um and that lack of consistency inside of play but it's moments like this that remind you of the quality that he's got because he just kept dribbling and dribbling and at any point you think he's going to be off balance he's going to he's going to lean too far away he's going to scuff his shot but every every um passage of of the run that he did was just so elegant and and poised and and and, and well balanced and the shot was 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 fantastic with the finish um, and it just it reminds you of the quality that he's got and also that Watford got in the bag as well he just needs just needs Ishmael some consistency uh, and a good old hammer to tap into it because there's certainly a lot of ability there definitely a lot of ability there he's one of those players who 
as a fan, you just love watching because he loves running with the ball, but he can also play that that final ball, which doesn't really necessarily happen all the time with 19-year-old players. You see ones who can, you know, run past players for days, but when it actually comes to producing mm. at the other ends, that's not always the case with these players. Um, the thing is, I'm not necessarily sure he's a Valo and Ishmael kind of player, is he? Which may be one of the reasons why he's not featured too much so far. Adam Leventhal was writing about him in The Athletic and the Watford hierarchy apparently regard him very highly. They believe he's the most promising talent at the club and the most likely to go for big money in the future. To be fair to Watford, got a good record with that, haven't they? With the likes of <laughs> Richarlison, mm-hmm. Yal Pedro. He's only going to get better, though, if he gets game time. So yeah. either Ishmael has got to move things around to accommodate him and give him more game time, or Espere has got to adapt his game to fit into the Ishmael's style. <laughs> Is it going to be worth it if Ishmael's not going to be there for the foreseeable future? I don't really know, but whatever the case, I want to see more of Yasser Espere because I think he's just a brilliant player to watch. A 95th minute winner from Ryan uh, Fraser saw Southampton beat Hull 2-1. Uh, great limbs here for this one. It was a, it was, you know, 95th minute winner. It's always going to be that. The thing is, though, a lot of Southampton fans couldn't make it to Hull because of the aforementioned uh, you know, chaos with the mm-hmm. weather. Have we actually mentioned it on the show yet? No, we were talking about it before, weren't we? Yeah, before we floods. started recording, the weather, if anyone's listening from abroad, has been awful in the UK over the past couple of days. So a lot of Southampton fans couldn't make it up to Hull. But the ones who did were very much duly rewarded. The star of the show for Southampton was Cal Walker-Peters, who provided a great assist for the first goal and made a crucial block at the other end. And he's another one of those, Justin, who's come down to the championship shouldn't really be playing at this level, should he? Because he looks a level above the rest. He's probably a victim of Southampton selling too many of their best players. Because he certainly would have, I'm sure if a bid was entertained, he probably would have gone because he is an exceptional player. And he, again, one of the standout players last season in, uh, in them getting relegated from the Premier League. And, and certainly I imagine if he is in the Premier League this season, he might be knocking on the door for the Euros Maybe a left wing back, maybe not a right yeah, back. It's, it's too many right backs. Too many that. right backs. The thing is, though, I think that's a really interesting point. If England weren't so inundated with incredible right backs, mm-hmm. then Carl Walker Peters probably would be closer to the England squad. And then, if that was the case, I think he probably would have been picked up in the summer because people would have said, well, he's too good to be playing at this yeah. level. But he may have gone slightly under the radar because he's not closer to the England picture. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? No, yeah, it's almost, um, you know, James Ward-Prowse, a lot of, lot of vocality around him, a lot of talk around him. Yeah, the the set pieces, the you know, the ability to to be a box to box player and to be a leader of Southampton, a lot of light shining on him. But I think that's probably taken it away from others, which is obviously a benefit to Southampton this season. Um, but certainly, Kyle Walker Peters is, is a quality individual. Has gone through the motions a little bit, sometimes falling asleep defensively. But I think he's he's switched on in the last few few games, along with the whole whole team. It seems at Southampton. So yeah, looking forward to seeing because Russell Martin systems get wing backs high, get them wide, um, get them in behind the, the, the back line and they, and they become really dangerous individuals in, in, in his system so yeah I think it's only going to get better in that sense from Kyle Walker-Peter and I think we're only going to see more from him um, in that final third yeah I think he's the most fouled player in the division <laughs> right um, back <laughs> yeah that's quite impressive though isn't it because yeah. he's just so good at running at players and he's able to deliver as well so it's quite rare really for a right back to be as influential as him but he should be playing in the Premier League I'm surprised he didn't get picked up in the summer Um, but Southampton have got him so you know 
make the most of it while they've got him. Southampton have now actually crept up the table, haven't they? After that well-publicised disaster spell, they've now won 10 points from a possible 12 and snuck up to fifth. They're probably not as far along as Leeds are, obviously not as far along as Ipswich and Leicester, but it seems like Southampton are getting there and could very well have a say in this promotion race. No, without a shadow of a doubt, I think the key thing is the uh, the character of the team is, is, is completely changed. There's a lot more steel about them. There's a lot more grit your teeth and get on with it sort of. And I think that's what we've needed to see from them if, you know, to be really basic with the assessment of them but it's so true because they were so soft they were so so soft in between the September international break and the October one and it finally started to click just for just for and obviously 10 points from 12 four unbeaten um, is a really good place but performance wise I think the last four performances have been building and building and building which is a huge huge positive yeah I would agree with that just now I think there's still um, there's still a bit of teething issues there when I watch Southampton and I Compare, compare them to Leeds. I see a lot more from Leeds than I do Southampton. Yeah. But we, we always said there was going to be a slow start for Russell Martin and Southampton. Maybe it's been a bit more extreme of a slow start than we imagined. But that tide has now turned. They've gone round that corner and now they're looking like the real deal. Hmm. Um, and ultimately, they've got so much quality and abundance that they had to finish in the top six. It would have been a crime if they don't. That's still not obviously set in stone. But it looks like they are going to be amongst there, doesn't it? And yeah. it's going to be it's going to be quite difficult to see them not finishing in the top six at the very least. If this is just a sign of them getting better and better, then maybe the top two isn't completely out of the question. But we we need to see a lot more, won't we? Three word review for Hull from Harry: scared to shoot. It's just one win in seven now for Hull, drawing a lot of games, which is something that Liam Mazzini was doing quite a lot with Hull last season. Bristol City won Coventry nil, a brilliant win for Bristol City. Plenty of injuries as well. A bit fortunate perhaps with Coventry hitting the bar twice, but without a doubt an excellent three points for them. Very interesting comments from Nigel Pearson after the game though. He told the local press, my position's not been secure, which irritates me. When asked to expand on that, he said, why don't you ask somebody above me for once? See if you can find somebody who's going to say anything. The last two weeks have been very irritating for me. I'm not exactly in the best situation, but I'm fine and I'll get better and I'll honour my contract. So we'll see where it goes. So doesn't sound too happy, Justin. It sounds like the club might make a change, which is a bit harsh. I think it is harsh. I know we've criticised Pearson or haven't been big fans of Pearson in, in, in months gone by, but he certainly deserves the opportunity to take this Bristol City team on. Um, but that being said, would you offer him a new two-year deal at the end of the season? Or, or would you offer him a two-year deal now um, to extend his contract beyond the end of the season? I don't think I would be committed to doing so, but I understand it from Nigel Pearson's point of view that you know, you look at the table, they they sat, they sit in eighth, they're two points of, of Southampton in fifth and one point of sixth. They're in a decent position. I don't think they've been fantastic yet this season. Um, but he sort of, he, he was one of those situations where you understand it from both sides. Pearson wants to have a commitment, um, but the board are probably looking, you know, looking elsewhere for, for that next step, a bit like Gary Rowett at Millwall. Yeah, I know I've been plenty critical about uh, Nigel Pearson over the years at Bristol City because my thing has always been 
look, Nigel Pearson's done a fantastic job in steadying the ship there. Bristol City spent a lot of money, which I think a lot of people forget mm. over the past few years. And he's done a great job in just steadying the ship, taking them away from uh, the relegation battle and getting them into a solid mid-table position. That's great. He's done a great job in that time. But at the end of the day, if Bristol City want to be competitive as a club and take the step to the next level, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to happen with Nigel Pearson in charge. Um, and now that we've seen with you know Millwall and Gary Rowett, it seems like that's kind of a similar position. I think Millwall are slightly further ahead in a in the scale of things compared to Bristol City. But put it this way: if Bristol City had a different manager in charge, I'd be feeling a lot more excited about them. With Nigel Pearson, I just see it being consistently mid-table slash bottom mm. half. I don't think they're going to get anywhere quickly with Nigel Pearson. I know that's harsh because he has done a great job in the time that he's been there and I maybe have been too harsh on him in the past. But ultimately, football's about getting places, isn't it? And I don't see Bristol City doing that with Nigel Pearson. I think the scenario in Millwall sacking Guy Rowett to make that next step, um, I think is very similar to the one that Nigel Pearson is in at, at Bristol City. They've invested heavily. They've got a good balanced squad and they've got some injuries and probably need a little bit more um, going into it, in the, especially in the final third. But they, they, they need to be performing better under him. I don't think we've seen a, a really good performance from Bristol City yet this season. We've seen some inconsistency, which is going to hold them back. And it's going to hold them back at some point in the season. So I think that's probably, again, where the scepticism comes from for, for Nigel Pearson. It was quite a shock at the Bet365 Stadium. Stoke beating Sunderland 2-1 in the Alex Neal derby. Ryan Meyer with his first Stoke goal. Uh, Rob's three-word review on Sunderland. Lacklustre but cheated. Uh, That's in reference to a couple of contentious decisions in this one. Stoke's first goal had a hint of handball about it. And Sunderland had a good penalty shout turned down. Very debatable decisions, those two. Luke McNally scored the winner for Stoke, which is good because we get to put the spotlight on him because he's a very good player, isn't he? He's a fantastic player. I've said it time and time again that I think one of the key reasons as to why Coventry was so defensively good last season, his second half of last season, is because of the addition of Luke McNally, which is quite tells you the quality that Burnley had last season. The fact they couldn't get into the Burnley squad. Um, that's why he was loaned out to Coventry. But yeah, Stoker's certainly, I thought, very fortunate to get him because there was a lot of clubs queuing up for him and he's shown his quality. He's the type of player you need. He's a very composed defender. And again, if you're, if you're looking to play out from the back but have a solid option, Luke Manali ticks those boxes and he's showing it time and time again. Yeah, brilliant player. And if I'm being brutally honest, I'm surprised that he went to Stoke because I think really he should be playing for a club looking to get into the top six. I know Stoke fans will be thinking to themselves, we should be looking to get into the top six, but I think that's quite a way off, unfortunately, this season. But, you know, we had a bit of a back and forth with Stoke fans about uh, how good their transfer window was. I've still certainly got my doubts around that, but I think without a doubt, the best signing of the bunch was probably Luke McNally, just because he was fantastic for Coventry last season. And, It's a bit strange that, as I say, a player who was starting pretty much every game for a team which got to the playoff final last season is now playing for a side which is looking towards the bottom half, really, based on the way things are going so far. But yeah, a really, really good player. Still very young as well. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, playing at a much higher level uh, than he is right now in the future. A Joe Rankin Costello goal saw Blackburn beat Cardiff 1-0. I haven't got much on this game, Justin. Is there anything you wanted to say? 
I wanted to pick out Sandre Tronstad. I thought he was a warrior in this game. Deserved credit for his role in the win. I think that's the only thing I'd pick out. But yeah, it's another another decent win for for Blackburn, who needed it back to back wins after some heavy, not heavy losses, but heavy quantitative losses. <laughs> yeah, they've they've been their games have been very interesting, haven't they? Because it's been very chaotic Blackburn mm-hmm. games so far. So a, a good win for them there. Justin's banker for this weekend: West Brom v Plymouth ended goalless. Three word review from Sam, who's a Baggies fan. Boring as fuck, which is a good analysis. I expected game, I goals think. in this game. Yeah, you, expected you, would, goals. you would have thought there would be goals in this game. I think if there's one game that I didn't expect to be goalless this weekend, it probably would have been that one. But a great result for Plymouth, considering their away record. Michael Cooper back in goal for Plymouth as well. He's very highly rated keeper uh, there. And finally, Rotherham v Ipswich on Friday night was postponed on grounds of supporter safety. It was announced three hours before kickoff, which I think is... A bit poor from mm. Rotherham, Justin. Do you agree? Maybe not from Rotherham. I think it's the wider authorities who should have foreseen the flooding and the impact it's going to have on travel situation. You've got Ipswich fans coming from Ipswich, obviously, very long way. Um, and obviously, the stadium's right by a river, which eventually broke its banks. But it was the the wider chaos that you know, should have been brought into, brought into thinking. So I don't think it's down to Rotherham as a club. I just think it's the wider authorities who maybe should have made a decision on that a lot sooner than three hours before kickoff. Yeah, maybe it's not Rotherham. Maybe I'm being harsh there. I don't really understand how <laughs> it works when it comes to a game getting abandoned. But someone has massively ballsed up here. I will emphasise again for anyone who's listening abroad ridiculous amounts of rain on Friday, particularly across the Midlands and north of England. I mean, that's not even mentioning what's going on in Scotland. So much so that I can't believe there were, weren't more games called yeah. off this weekend, really. Um, now, I completely understand that it's easy to say it's bad from Rotherham or the authorities, whoever, for not calling it off earlier in hindsight. But the train station there was a good couple of feet underwater, and that was the case <laughs> at midday. So maybe they should have thought... Yeah, maybe this isn't going ahead. But Rotherham put out a statement earlier in the day saying that they were confident the game was going to go ahead. Mm. So someone someone shouldn't have let that go ahead, first of all. Ultimately, Rotherham's ground seems to be a bit more susceptible to heavy rain than most places. So they should know better, really. And I mean, the entrances to the ground were also flooded, or some of them were, which you know, wouldn't have just happened instantly. It would have taken a bit of time for that to build up. So I'm not calling for a fine or Ipswich to get awarded the points or something like that. Just a bit of foresight to call it early instead of waiting until the point where all those Ipswich fans would have almost certainly left home would mm-hmm. have been a bit more sensible, I think. As I say, don't know if that was Rotherham's fault or whoever, but three hours before kickoff is extremely poor. Let's do the polls just in. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts. What are you doing with your eyebrows? I'm just, it's my thinking face. Like, uh, it's an anticipation thinking face. For anyone who's listening to the podcast instead of watching it on YouTube, then Justin was for some reason doing a dance with his eyebrows. I have no idea what he was doing there, but he was clearly very excited about the polls. Uh, This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who would you prefer in charge of your club, Wayne Rooney or John Eustace? John Eustace. (laughs) It's a dickhead question to put out there, but I went and did it anyway. 85% of people said John Eustace. 15% said Wayne Rooney. Um, Where will Norwich finish this season? Top six, top half, bottom half. I'm sort of going towards bottom half. 
I'm also going slightly towards bottom half. <laughs> I think uh, my prediction of Norwich being the big underachievers this season is starting to look a bit more like it's coming to fruition than mm. it was after the first six games, isn't it? Uh, 70% of people said top half, 17% said bottom half, 13% said top six. It's worth remembering when Josh Sargent comes back, they're a different team, aren't yeah. they? Because at the moment, they are relying so much on Gabriel Sara. It's quite embarrassing. Dare I say, maybe a different manager at some point in the season, if things don't go particularly well on David Wagner, that might improve things. Maybe, Justin. And finally, what car do you drive? Petrol, diesel, electric? Don't drive. I drive an electric. Yep. Yes, you do, Justin. Do you want to tell tell our friends what, what happened? I went for a 5k run with my friends 10 miles away yesterday morning, Saturday morning. Um, I drove through a little bit of flood water and my car went from 40 miles to 10 miles to five miles within a one mile stretch, which isn't ideal. My car then, once I broke down, my car ran out of battery, pathetically trying to get up a hill at three miles per hour. It then started to roll back. I was then stuck 300 yards away from my house and I had to roll my car, push my car into someone's drive who fortunately had a Tesla. It was embarrassing. This is what you get for trying to save the planet. Don't yeah. get all smug on us. The floods, I, I'm trying to prevent the floods and they fucked me. <laughs> um, we'll leave that there. 50% of people said petrol, 26% said don't drive, 19% said diesel, 5% said electric. So you're very much in the minority here. We're a brotherhood. That's what we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would say, say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, I would say Villa, that's one down. Newcastle, that's another down. But if I would say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is get all eight answers without losing all of my lives. How many lives am I getting, Justin? Simon Grayson could give you four, Ryan. Four? Four. I mean, I thought three was the limit, but... Is it? yeah, we'll, we'll limit it to three because okay, we've got three. time constraints. Um, but go ahead. This sounds like it's going to be a shit of every question. I don't think it is. I, I enjoyed it. I played it yesterday. Ray Rooney obviously took charge of Birmingham this weekend, making him a long line of former England internationals managing in the championship. So with that in mind, I want you to name for me the last eight England internationals to have managed in the championship. Ooh, there are some corkers in here. That is a good question. I'll tell you what. I like that. Um not including Wayne Rooney. We're not Rooney. including Wayne Rooney. Okay. Well, Michael Carrick's the obvious one. Correct. 34 caps for England. Hmm. I, I don't think there's that many, so I'm quite confident that Frank Lampard must be in there. Frank Lampard is one of them. 106 caps. Uh, obviously, 18-19 with Derby. He is sixth on my list. Sixth? So it's been five since him. Ooh. Um, all right, then. That's very interesting, isn't it? I'm just trying to row back to try and remember. You've got to think outside the box. Um, Outside the box, you say? That's not a clue. For the interest of saving time, I'll throw John Terry out there, even though I know he's not in there. Incorrect. You've lost a life. Pathetic. That is pathetic. Ooh, I've got one. Lee Bowyer. Lee Bowyer is one. One cap for England. 
Yes. One cap for England. Obviously managed yeah. last managed Birmingham City in 21-22. He's third on my list. I think this is the general theme. It's literally players who flirted with the England squad once and that's that's it. You, there you, isn't anyone now, is there? But, no, just Michael Carrick. Just Michael Carrick, good. Apart from Rooney, of course. Um, Come on, Ryan. Throw him out. I'm seriously struggling. I'll go with Ryan Lowe. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> One life remaining. Wasted. This, this is a really bad showing, but I'm struggling to think of just England players who have gone on to be managers. It's a good you, question. I'll give you that. You're going to kick yourself as soon as I go through them. You I honestly will. No, I'm going to have to tap out, I think. You're just tapping out, right. I, I'm seriously struggling. Give me a club and I'll, I should be able to do it from that. Reading. Uh, Mark Bowen? He's <laughs> <laughs> very Welsh. Is he Welsh? I think he is, yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Oh, Paul Ince. Oh. There we go. That was dreadful. Honestly, dreadful, dreadful, it's dreadful showing. My tactic was I was going through the England team of like the mid noughties and trying to go mm. through them. And it was, I don't think that was the right way to go about it. No, there, there are some absolute corks in here. Really obvious one that you've missed out. Give me another so my, club. Another club. Bournemouth. Scott Parker. Scott Parker. There's another one. Bournemouth? Yep. Jason Tindall? <laughs> oh, Jonathan Woodgate. Jonathan Woodgate. Yeah, yeah. So that's your top uh, five. Then you've got Frank Lampard in sixth. And the last two are quite tricky. Clubs. Burton Albion. Clough. Nigel Clough. Fucking hell, I would have never got that in a million 14 years. 14 caps. Uh, who's the other one? Last one is uh, Huddersfield. So this must have been before Wagner? Yes, literally right before Wagner. Oh, I don't know. Chris Powell. Oh, bloody hell. Now that you've read out the answers, this, this seems ridiculously <laughs> hard. <laughs> no, you've, you've, you've messed that up. Embarrassing. I, I will admit, three from that was I probably should have got Scott Parker but the rest of them were incredibly hard but there you go ladies and gentlemen that's been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight this has been the second tier podcast one final piece of admin we had a great response after asking listeners from abroad where they're listening from we had plenty in America including Matthew in South Carolina Chris from Philadelphia amongst others we already knew we had quite a few listeners stateside but we also had people from Sweden and Bulgaria we're basically across Europe Justin so thank you to those listening to us abroad we will continue to fill you in on the second tier and of course thank you to listening here in Britannia as well as always if you could leave a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you are listening to us on it will go a long way to helping us grow as a podcast so we will be eternally grateful for that but otherwise we'll be back again on Thursday to go through all the midweek games here in the championship so we bloody look forward to seeing you then this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a huge thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 